Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the first ever summer edition of Coffeehouse Theology. It's Jay Strother with Brian Ball, and uh, let me give a little bit of backstory. Uh, We normally, when we are gathering for Coffeehouse Theology, take a break in the summer. We kind of let summer focus studies take over. We kind of catch our breath. We tend to build our studies a semester at a time. But a couple of things that are unusual about this year, uh, one of those we anticipated, that was we plan to go all the way through the Bible in 2020. So we have a daily Bible reading plan. You can find that on the church website at stationhillchurch.com. And so whether you're reading through the Bible with us or not, hopefully, uh, you get the benefits of us kind of walking through big chunks of Scripture this year. But the thing that we didn't anticipate, of course, was coronavirus. Uh, And so that's pushed uh, us to go uh, with a podcast version online. And so we thought, hey, well, why don't we keep that going through the summer to help us uh, and to help you guys as we track all the way through the Bible this year? So our plan is roughly to post every other week, and it's going to be a little shorter. We normally go an hour plus uh, in this format. We're going to try, Brian, to keep it to the 25, 35-minute mark. I don't know how much luck we'll have. I'm not sure we've ever had a 30-minute theological discussion, so this this could be a miracle. It may be true. So (laughs) we're going to fly through, but uh, if you're following along with us, we are still in act of God's great big story. That's God's covenant people. Uh, Kings and prophets, we've spent the last several weeks, five weeks to be exact, walking through uh, First and Second Samuel. Uh, and now we are to the point that we're going to continue to see God shape his kingdom people. Uh, and so we are going to be looking at today uh, the first part of First Chronicles and Psalms. Uh, and then our next podcast, we'll jump into uh, kind of the Solomon era with the narrative and then Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. But today, Uh, We're going to focus on 1 Chronicles and Psalms, so let me pray for us, and we'll get started. Father, thank you for the richness of your word. Uh, Today, we know we only have time to kind of hit the surface, uh, to skim the treetops of uh, this incredible work that you've given us in your word that has shaped the prayers and the praise of generations of your people. Mm -hmm. So God, would you help us today uh, to just be able to to get some handles on uh, how you can use this word in our hearts and our lives, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, Brian. Ryan, well, you're going to walk us through a little bit of First Chronicles, uh, and and, and uh, right, the first couple things as you as we were reading through the Bible, right, this was written, and a lot of this was read in parallel with Second Samuel, because First Chronicles is is a different perspective on the story of David, yeah. and so a lot of what you get is one that early part's a long a long genealogy, <laughs> yes. and two, haven't I read this before, right? right. So a lot a lot yeah. kind of as you go yeah. through Chronicles, a lot of my family does the audio Bible, and they're like, hey, did I did, did I hit I the just, wrong? <laughs> I just it seems like it's on repeat, here. Yeah. but it's important to notice. Right, it's it's not just repetition. If you read carefully, it's it's editorial as that's well. That's exactly right, and that and that's the key. And and a lot of it has to do right as we as we look of kind of who and and when it who it was written by and when it was written. Yeah. Because right, Second Samuel is a history, so it was written much closer to the time of the events. Yes. Whereas Chronicles was really written with Ezra and Nehemiah, so it's in the return from exile. Yeah. Looking back. Right. Looking back and seeing and seeing the faithfulness of God, and that. That's the story, right? Second Samuel was really a history, yeah. whereas Chronicles is a remember the line of God. Yeah. Remember how even now as we come out of exile, after all of these things that have happened over the last right five, six, seven hundred years, right. that you know God is still faithful. The line of David is still present. Yeah, right? yeah. It's always interesting, you know, having been a history teacher. You know, the idea that, it, like you said, when something happens, people tend to recount the details, the messy details, you know, all of those things. 
we tend to look back a little bit more and see the bigger picture. Right. And so that's what we have in First Chronicles. Right. And it and it it adds some things and leaves some things out. Right. It leaves out a lot of the sins of David because it's not about David the person as much as David in the lineage of Jesus. Yeah. And back to the idea of the covenant. Exactly. One of these great themes that we've been talking about as we read through the Bible. You know, Ezra and Nehemiah. These guys wanted to show us that God had been faithful to keep His promise. That's exactly. So right. I love though the fact that we do have First and Second Samuel because I think that's an important lesson for us, and we've walked through that you know um, in depth. But to talk about the failure of David, how he wasn't perfect, uh, but at the same time recognizing that, that there was a bigger story at work than even the life of David, and that was God keeping His promise to David. Right, and as we pull that forward to us, right, because we see David was a mess. Right. There's no way to look at the last couple of weeks of teaching and not go, David was a mess. Yeah. But, the, but the grace of God was always on him, and God used him for his kingdom. He was a man after God's own heart, yeah. even despite that mess. And that's really the emphasis when we get into Chronicles, right, as, as we start walking Chronicles through. And the center of Chronicles is that same Davidic covenant. Right. And we're not going to go through it indeed. We spent a lot of time on that, I think, three weeks ago. And right. so if you want to go back and listen to that podcast, that's, but that's the same emphasis in Chronicles. That's where really Second Samuel and Chronicles touch. Yeah. Is, is in the Davidic covenant. But then where, where uh, Chronicles takes from it is that is, is it takes it to the building of the, of the Lord's house. And so David's preparation for the building of, of the house. Um, I love this. One of the commentaries had of kind of how the, the context of Chronicles was around. And I put this quote in the, in the handout. It says, you know, because it was written uh, to the returning remnant, Chronicles has a more positive thrust than Samuel or Kings. Uh, it certainly does not deny failures, but concentrates on the messianic line, the temple and the spiritual reforms. The readers needed encouragement in rebuilding their heritage. Mm-hmm. Right. Chronicles teaches that Yahweh is still with them. He brought them back and enabled them to rebuild the temple. All is not lost. Though the glory has departed and they are under the control of the Gentile powers, God still has a future for them. The throne of David was gone, but the line of David still stood. Yeah, that's a, that's a powerful summary. Because, you know, it's that idea that as God's people, we go astray. Uh, God allows us to deal with the natural consequences, right. you know, of, of, of our actions, you know, because he's God, he's Correct. just, but yet he remains loving. Absolutely. And so the idea here, and, and again, think about when it's written from a historical perspective of God's not finished with us yet right. as a people. And there know, were, God, God isn't done with us. The, the temple that they're going to rebuild, it was just a, it was a shell, so to speak, you know, of, of the glory of Solomon's temple. Right. But the idea that they were able to return after exile to their homeland, that they weren't just absorbed into the Babylonian Empire, that they didn't disappear from the pages of history. Right. You know, Ezra and Nehemiah are reminding them, God's not done with us. Right. You know, he's, he's kept his promise. Some things look very different. Right. But he's kept his promise. And, man, is that not a message for our time? Absolutely. Things look different <laughs> in May of 2020 than they did in May of 2019. Absolutely. But God is still faithful to keep his promise. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And 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 we, we see that faithfulness, right, throughout Chronicles, that, that the emphasis is on God's faithfulness. One of the other, one of the other things that I've, really, that I've always thought was neat about Chronicles is one of the perspectives on the book itself is it is to Samuel and Kings, kind of like John is to the synoptic God. Gospels, right? And Deuteronomy is to the Pentateuch because they're repetitions to some extent, but they're a unique perspective. 
on how things happen. And so if you read Chronicles, you know, both first and second Chronicles in that light, yeah. it provides both a, a, a repeat, there's a repeating, a summary, and then an insight yeah. that comes in those books that's unique to the other. To yeah, the, other the ancient Jewish rabbis always had this metaphor for scripture that it was like a fine jewel, and right. that as you turned it, it refracted the light differently, right? right? So as you read different aspects of the same story, even when you read the same story twice, right? Sometimes the light strikes you in a little different way than it right. did before. Right. And so this is just an overt example of, you know, you know, again, my kids asking, Dad, why is this kind of repetition in the Bible? Well, here's the reason why. Right. You know, there's some historical reasons why, but there's certainly some theological reasons why as well. Well, and repetition was the bold of the spoken language. That's right. Right. And so it was also done for emphasis. Yeah. Going to the things that are repeated are the things that are important. Yes. Um, we sometimes forget these were spoken traditions for, for, for many, many years. Um, and we, and I love kind of the, the conclusion, right? Where first Chronicles really emphasizes who builds God's house, the son of David. And as you've often talked about, right, there's an immediate realization in that being Solomon. Mm-hmm. And and an eternal realization in that being Christ. That's right. And so that son of David, you know, and he's referred to as son of David in the New Testament. That line of David and the building of the temple. Right. He says, if you if you tear down this temple in John, you tear down this temple in three days, it will be rebuilt. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we took forty six years to build this. Yeah. You know, and G, but Jesus was speaking of his body, the temple of God. Yeah. Right. Which which leads us into the Psalms, which leads us into into the, the the literature and the and the praise that we see because of both the theological and historical perspective of David. What the, what the Psalms give us is insight into his heart. That's right. Right. How beautiful is that? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great connect, Brian. And, you know, even especially the first, uh, I believe it is, 41 of the Psalms, you know, were assembled by David for use right. in the temple. Uh, and so during the kingdom period, you know, especially that first book of the Psalms, and we'll talk about the, the books of the Psalms. That's, that sounds weird <laughs> to people at first. We'll explain why in just a moment. But, you know, David was in t- as intentional as he was with providing, you know, the, the cedars from Lebanon and, and the gold and all of the, the you know, the different things for Solomon. Uh, he was as intentional with providing providing the liturgy, right? you know, the, the, the songs to be sung, the, the, the poems of praise to be recited. Um, and that's what we have, we have in Psalms. So, uh, with that being said, let's, uh, let's jump over uh, to Psalms because this is, a, just, of course, a towering <laughs> book of the Bible. Um, that is one of the most quoted. As a matter of fact, is the most quoted book in the new Testament. Um, and, uh, and so it influences us in so many ways, but if you're like me, you know, the Psalms can almost be overwhelming. Yeah. You know, it's it, we all have our kind of our favorite verses and our favorite psalms themselves. But you kind of you know, whoa! I, I need a framework to be able to figure out. Man, there, there's a lot of material here to grapple with. So hopefully, uh, this will help give you some handles uh, for how to approach the psalms. Oh, well, who wrote it? Well, 73 of the Psalms are attributed to David. Uh, the New Testament mentions two more and right. attributes those to David. There's 12 to Asaph, uh, 11 to the sons of Korah, two to Solomon, one to Moses, and several. We, we're just not sure. Right. Uh, to whom? Well, they were written uh, for the people of God for use in both their public, as we just mentioned, but also in their private worship. You know, uh, people often hear Psalms and knowing David played the lyre and those kind of things think it's it's all musical, and it certainly has been used, you know, in musical purposes. But it's interesting because Psalms are also the prayer book of God's right. people. That's right. Right away, the Jewish people adapted them to, to use the Psalms to frame their prayers. And I think that's really one of the best ways to take the Psalms to heart um, is, to, is to, to use them to frame our prayers. Uh, when did it happen? Well, this is a pretty fascinating book of the Bible because it really covers a thousand years uh, of the praise of God's people. Uh, so Moses, as we mentioned, mm-hmm. wrote Psalm 90. So we know from the time of Moses to all the way after the Babylonian exile yeah. and its period of 
Ezra and Nehemiah. And so many scholars believe that the Psalms were collected and arranged in their current form during the time of exile in Babylon. And it was a way to capture and preserve their worship and theology while in exile, while in a foreign land, which that to me is really significant because any time a people that they were conquered, right? The, the, the tendency would be we're defeated. Like we're done. God's God's, you know, done with us as we talked about a moment ago. And so for them to, to rally spiritually, you know, it's that example that we go through in our own lives of sometimes we have to be stripped bare of all of the things we think matter. Right. in order to find the things that really do. That's right. And so it's ironic, but also so biblical that God's people, in a sense, recovered their identity in exile. Right. You know, they didn't have the temple to rely on. They didn't have the sacrificial system for that season. They didn't have all of these things they thought, right, were kind of almost like good luck charms for them because right. they were, quote, God's chosen people. But Babylon and Babylon were experts at extracting your culture out of you yeah. and reassimilating you into Babylonian yeah. culture. Yeah, Daniel that, and Ezekiel, we'll, exactly we'll get into right. that. We've also studied that in past semesters. But yeah, they, that, and it was, a, it was a, a very sophisticated form. It wasn't just, we're going to conquer you and kill all your people, right? right? Um, it was, we're going to take your best and your brightest, right. and we're going to assimilate them right. into our culture. And then, and then send them back out. And so they, because you follow the best, and brightest in your culture and always have, right? Because that's the tendency of cultures. Now they've been reprogrammed as Babylonians. Right. Yeah, and yeah, so now word. you will fall in. And and to imagine that they kept this faithful remnant, especially, like you say, especially along the lines of theology. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is that is truly the hand of God yeah. on and, his people. And it becomes encouraging for us to see God's grace at work and even in such a difficult time because mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, we are a people in exile, yeah. um, especially in Western culture as Christianity used to be more at the center of, of our culture as it moves to the fringes, um, as, as we, you know, become displaced, you know, as, as in so many different ways, it's important for us to remember that it's there where you kind of separate the sheep from the goats, you know, it becomes black and white again. You don't have so many cultural Christians. And so the, you know, the Jews had to choose to lock into their identity. And as Christians, we have to recover that same identity. And one of the ways you do it is through the word. That's right. You know, and so the word being assembled in its current form. Again, a lot of this was written beforehand during the time of David and, and many of his worship leaders and even all the way back to Moses. Well, and so much of culture is transmitted through song. I can't remember who the yeah, philosopher was that said, you know, I don't need to write a land's laws. Yeah. Let me write their song. Yes. And and that's what the Psalms are, right? They're, they're, they're the cultural memory yeah. of the people. And so seeing that assembled, that it, you know, it, it, it's just God's providence. It's, it's the way we're wired as yeah. a community in addition to the and, – and we don't think of that. Christians don't often think of that in art forms, right? right. Because we're, we tend to be a bit dismissive of art uh, in, in Christian circles. And yet that's a powerful way. There are, there are things that are, words are too blunt to express. Yeah. And so we have to express them in our songs and in our and in our art and in our in our drawing and in our sculpture and, and those beautiful things that 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 sing to God all the same. Right? If I'm brutally honest to that point, I, I wish that people would go around quoting my three points from my sermon every week, but they don't. <laughs> You're shocked. What they right? go around humming is the worship, worship songs sermon. that we sing. Right. And so a lot of our theology is expressed in our worship, and it's why it's important that, That's right. that our, our, our worship is, 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 has depth, is biblical. Um, it's why it's important, because it does. It sticks with us. It moves, right? It, right. it, it educates us.
stimulates the mind, but it moves the heart. Absolutely. You Beautiful. know, um, down to the depths of the soul. And so, mm. so, so important in the formation of God's people in a lot of ways that the Psalms were preserved was really the preservation of the identity of God's chosen people. That's so right. uh, it's interesting in Hebrew, the book of Psalms is entitled Talim, which means song of praise. Wow. Uh, so they were written to express the full range of emotions of God's people. And that's one of the other gifts. And I'll talk about that more in a minute that the Psalms gives us, but it really does help us to, 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 you know, validate this is how I feel. But instead of running from God with that, I'm going to bring that to God. Amen. So the key themes of course, include worship of the one true God, uh, creation and fall mm-hmm. election and covenant, uh, and eschatology as it looks forward towards the future. You know, Jesus quoted Psalms a lot, right? Uh, you know, and so that's important for us to get as well. So there's a couple of different ways we can kind of categorize the Psalms. Uh, the first way I've listed in the handout, and I'm indebted to uh, an Old Testament theologian by the name of Trimper Longman, um, who uh, has put this in his commentary, but he, he really argues is that, that, that there are seven different genres of the Psalms. Uh, so like we think of, of kind of categories, you know, musical styles and different forms of expression, um, there are kind of seven that you can categorize the Psalms into. And, and some of them, you know, they overlap like right. a other things. So they're not hard and fast categories, but it does help you kind of understand, oh, this psalm, this is kind of the theme uh, that David or one of the other writers was going for. The first the first genre is hymns or, or songs of praise. Uh, these are easily recognized, right? Exuberant praise to God. Uh, they share, most of them share a structure and then they start with a call to worship. Uh, they expand on the reasons God should be praised and they conclude with mm. more praising, <laughs> right? That's what they are. Uh, a lot of people don't know where we get the, you know, the word we sing so often in church, hallelujah. Well, that comes from the Hebrew Hallel, which is praise, and the shortened version of Yahweh, which is Yah. Wow. So Halal, Yah, yeah. Hallelujah, when you put that all together. Wow. Uh, and so examples of that are Psalm 19, 92, 103, and 113. And then kind of to the other emotional end of the spectrum is a lament to teach us that we can go to God when we're on the mountaintop and when things are good, but also in the valley. Uh, and so the laments are defined primarily by mood. Uh, it's really the psalmist's cry when you have nowhere to turn but God. Mm. And it's interesting because I feel like our generation is recovering uh, an understanding of lament, I agree. Uh, especially in the evangelical church. There was kind of this season in which we wanted all of our worship songs to be upbeat and happy and, you know, um, you know, nothing somber, nothing serious. But I, I think the genuineness of lament in the psalms is helping to bring us back to that. So there are mm. kind of three types of complaints that you'll see written by the different psalmist. One is troubled by our own thoughts and actions. And I love, I love the honesty of that, right? right. Because I, I think we all know our capability of sin. Um, and sometimes we're troubled by our own sense of despair, depression, grief, those things. Uh, number two, complaining about others and enemies. David and others don't hold back, right? I mean, they, they cry, he cries out to God uh, in a very infamous uh, type of psalms that are sometimes called imprecatory psalms, right? right? David calls on God to destroy his enemies. Right. Uh, and that's just honest emotion. It teaches right. us that we are to bring that emotion to God, right. you know, smite them mighty smiter, smiter. as we would say. <laughs> But yet, we're not supposed to take that vengeance into our own hands. Exactly. David brings that thought to God. So that's one example. And then number three, sometimes uh, David or others express frustration with God himself. Right. You know, God, I don't see you. Psalm 22, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so it's not, when you read those Psalms, it's not a lack of belief in God, but it's a, God, I can't see what you're doing right now. From my vantage point, I can't understand it. Right. And our culture so often processes lament into cynicism no, that's and good. into sarcasm. And the best definition I've ever heard of cynicism is one who has been wounded by hope. Right. Well, that's, that's just, that's 
That's really strong. Yeah, that's exactly right, right? And our culture has no idea what to do with lament. Yeah. It has so few healthy mechanisms, and it's you know, both kind of surprising, to be honest, and, and refreshing that God goes, bring that to me too. Yeah. Right? Bring that's that good. to me too because I, you know, my shoulders carry that that's burden right. for you. God my, is a big boy. He, he, right, can, God hand, can, handle, he can handle your hard emotions. Exactly. And, but, that's, but that's a refreshing thing because it, you know, there's a lot of fragility around those kinds of things in our culture. And, and, and God can handle that authenticity from us, right? that, that raw setting. And what, what a freedom. Yeah. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 62, 8, which says, pour out your heart to God at all times for Mm. he is your rock and redeemer. Mm. So to your point, I can pour out anything to God because he is the fixed point in my life. He is the rock, right? And my redeemer, right? He's the one who's going to make a way. I love, I love that that the the psalmist just invites us to come to God with that. So we've got hymns, Mm. we've got lament. Number three, we've got thanksgiving. Uh, give thanks to God for he is good. His love endures forever, right? That's all over the Psalms. So oftentimes, if you pay close attention, that's a praise to God for answered prayer, right? which is convicting to me because how many times do I pray, plead to God for something? He answers that prayer and I move on to my next prayer request, right? right? Okay, you did this, now do that. Here's the next thing on my list. Without stopping to thank him, right? to have a heart of gratitude for what God has done. And often that's answered laments. That's exactly right. Oh, and that's Jesus, right? And, and we healed 10 and only one came back. Yeah. Right, and you, and that rolls back to that. You know, am I seeing things through a gracious heart? Yeah, through a thankful heart. No, that's beautiful, man. Beautiful examples of that. Psalm eighteen, thirty-two, thirty-four, fifty-six, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, chutzpah. <laughs> I just spit over the microphone, right? Trying to say that. Um, so uh, don't worry, we'll disinfect these mics uh, when this is this is over. But that confidence, Psalms of yeah, confidence, absolutely, uh, is our fourth category where where the psalmist express his trust, not in himself, right. but in God's goodness and power. Uh, tons of examples, 11, 16, 23. The famous Psalm, Psalm 23 is a, it's a confident Psalm. The Lord is my great shepherd, right? right? He can handle this. He's my great host. He has a place for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 27, 30, uh, 62, 91, 121, 125, 131, mm-hmm. all Psalms of confidence. Uh, and then Psalms of remembrance as well. Uh, and sometimes this is called big, big theologian word, right. you know, warning here, historical redemptive Psalms, right? But historical, right? Looking back over the history of God's people, redemptive, his acts, his mighty acts and redemption, especially the Exodus. Um, we were talking about the, the, the line of David and God keeping his promises. Those, those Psalms that look back over those promises, right. you know, and David's basically like, I'm amazed Lord at, at how far you've brought me, you know, yep. uh, 78, 105, 106, 135, 136, all examples of that. Uh, and then there are uh, uh, psalms of wisdom. Uh, and what's interesting is when we get to our favorite psalms, Brian, you and I both pick <laughs> psalms of wisdom. Uh, but they contrast ways of living that bring about different consequences. Right. Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 37, Psalm 119 are yeah. examples of that. And then last but certainly not least, and this is tied to the, the messianic idea, kingship. Uh, so there are psalms that kind of have this double lens focus. So in an interesting way, psalms also serve as a form of prophecy. Mm. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said the psalms spoke about him. Wow. Uh, and so you have this idea of the near mountain range was the, the, the kings of Israel, but in the, off in the distance, you also have the Messiah, the one to come. Uh, and so God's validation of that kingship, his support of that kingship, his reign and rule through that king, uh, examples of that, chapters 20, 21, 45, um, and then some specifically 
basically just proclaim that God is king, like right. chapter 47. So what's the, what's the why we're always getting to? Well, throughout history, God has been fashioning a people for himself who will love and obey him and who will express their corporate life in gathered worship. Amen. You know, we've been, this is what we've been missing <laughs> as a church during this season. Absolutely. Our individual, our worship, uh, you know, in families and homes, it's been good. Right. But yet we long to gather and God wired us that way. And that's why we sense that longing. In a way, we've been a church in exile for right. the past 12 weeks while we've had to gather online and not meeting. So that desire to come together and have a, a, a prayer book, a song book to express our praise to God, that's what the Psalms gives us. So it served as a vehicle for the prayers and praises of God's people in Israel and for Christians today who we've been grafted in. Romans yep. 11 tells us to that story, uh, to God's great salvation story. And we can join our voices together in expressing, expressing both our everyday emotions and our, our worship to the one true King. When it's that place to come together. Yes. Right. Well, while we come together physically, it's something that draws us together both theologically and emotionally. Yeah. And that, that's what's so powerful in the Psalms is, is, there, is there's a completeness to the unity, right? That the Lord draws us together, body, soul, mind, and spirit. Yeah. And the Psalms are an important aspect to that coming together as one in the worship of the King. Yeah. And, and the Psalms stretch us, you know, I don't know about yeah. you, Brian, but oh, I'm yeah. a dude and I don't tend to read a lot of poetry. <laughs> right. Uh, and so it, it, but I know poetry is beautiful. It's expressive. It's just not the way I'm hardwired. Right. So you have to read Psalms differently than you read narrative. That's and right. That's healthy. It's, it's, it brings us back to it. And so as, as New Testament Christians, why would ancient Hebrew poetry matter to us? Well, right. first of all, as I mentioned, Jesus said, the Psalms spoke to his coming. Right. Uh, look at Luke 24, where he's talking on the MS road, right? All scripture points. Uh, to him. Uh, the Psalms are quoted, as I mentioned earlier as well, more than any other book in the New Testament. Uh, Paul provides us with a third of all quotes, uh, and a fifth of those are from the Psalms. Wow. So Paul, obviously, having been trained in Judaism, right. a student among students, a Hebrew among Hebrews, man, he knew the Psalms inside and out, and he was always grabbing uh, for those those Psalms you know, to help illustrate what God was doing in the New Covenant. Uh, and then Tripper Longman says this, there are two grounds for seeing the Psalter as a book which anticipates the coming of Jesus. He is God, right. of course, and he is the Son of God. Right. And the son of David. Right. So those terms help us to understand and, and look for those echoes of Jesus, That's right. uh, you know, in the Psalms. Uh, George Guthrie, who gave us uh, our Bible reading plan that we're using this year, gave us seven contributions that the Psalms make to the Bible and really to our life. Uh, number one, it expresses humanity's words to God. Uh, when we're locked in and focused on him, this is, this is the overflow of a full heart. Number two, the Psalms reflect the whole range of human emotion. Amen. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, you know, one of the interesting things I deal with as a pastor, Brian, is, is that you've got all of these Christians who are having a hard time, having a hard time even expressing their emotions, who will come down and sit with me. And I literally have to sometimes put in front of them a chart of emotions. Right. Are you angry? Are you hurt? Are you sad? Are you lonely? Are you feel fearful? Are you dealing with shame and guilt? You know, are you glad? Are you, you know, but, but it's funny because they they assume that gladness, you know, happiness is the only way a Christian should ever behave. Right. And so a lot of times I have to literally go, you know, give me an emotion <laughs> on this list. Well, the Psalms gives us permission to feel. That's you right. know, and that's one of the great gifts that it gives us is it, it justifies, uh, it gives us the whole range of human emotions. It doesn't justify us doing our own thing with those. Right. But bringing those to God, right. allowing God to heal us, work with us, you know, meet us at our point of need, that's one of the gifts that the Psalms gives us. Absolutely. Well, and emotions are, are a response to something. That's right. right. Emotions don't appear. I mean, they're responses. And so taking those responses to God to be sure we handle them in a proper way. Yeah. Our emotions are critically important because, you know, there, there's a leaning in a lot of Christianity towards stoicism. Yeah. 
And yeah. and that's not anyway validated in scripture, right? These emotions are very important to us, are very are very important to our ability to both understand God and understand the world. Yep. And so having these expressions and taking those as a natural part of being, so we are angry, we are sad, we are happy. Right. But all of those things are part of our faith journey and being authentic to those things and turning them to God is critical in our development as as believers and as disciples. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Guthrie goes on to say, and we've already covered this, the Psalms contain various types within its collection. Uh, Number four, the Psalms have the ability to transcend time and cultural barriers. Mm. Every era, every generation of believers have found the Psalms to be helpful and useful. Uh, They're poetry, and they should be read and understood that way. Uh, They make brilliant use of what was called Hebrew parallelism. Oh, man. And you could spend, I mean, you do a whole (laughs) dissertation, right, just on that alone. And number seven, the the Psalms can provide a great way to enhance your prayer life and biblical meditation. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. Uh, to talk about the, the importance of meditation, what it is, what it isn't. But just a, a couple fun facts about Psalms, because I'm a nerd and I love this kind of stuff, right? Of course, it's the largest book in the Bible, 150 right. chapters. has the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, with 176 verses. Uh, but you kind of get a breather right before that, because Psalm 117 is the shortest. It right. only has two verses. So if you want a fun little activity, right, tell your kids you're going to make them memorize a book of the Bible, or a chapter of the, the Bible, Bible. <laughs> and then give them Psalm 117, and they'll feel good about themselves. Right. Absolutely. Right, and then you can take them over to Psalm 119. <laughs> so, but get this: that short little two-verse chapter—it's the middle chapter of the Bible's one thousand one hundred and eighty-nine chapters, wow. and then the very center of the entire Bible. Psalm one eighteen eight is the center of the Bible's thirty-one thousand one hundred and seventy-three verses. And guess what it says? It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Man. Wow. Now we know that originally when the Bible was written, it didn't have verse numbers. Right. But I just think it's it's such a it's such a cool cool fact. Well, it's just providential, right? Yeah. It's providential. You go right to the heart of the Bible, right? If you really wanted to just take the Bible and open it up right to the smack dab middle, the message you get: it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Amen. So really Amen. fun. That's All right. Awesome. So for our last five minutes, because I'm really working hard to keep this <laughs> at about our thirty minute mark here, uh, Brian and I are going to share with you a couple of our favorite psalms. Uh, and so, you know, I, I could have gone, there's so many places I could have gone, uh, with this. Uh, I love, uh, the Psalm, uh, you know, uh, Psalm 51, which we talked about when we talked about David and Bathsheba creating me a clean heart. Uh, I love Psalm 73, 28 that says God's nearness is my good. Um, I love the Psalm of Moses, Psalm 90, teach us to count our days, um, to number our days. Uh, that's so, so Mm. powerful. Uh, I love the Psalms of Ascent, which were the Psalms that were said by the pilgrims as they were traveling to Jerusalem um, in Psalm 120 through 134. If you want a great study, Eugene Peterson's A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Beautiful stuff. Absolutely worth your time and effort. And then maybe maybe my favorite psalm is is Psalm one thirty nine uh, that t- teaches us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That I Amen. think really gives the the foundation for the sanctity of human life. Amen. But then goes on you know to invite God to search our hearts and to know our ways. Uh, and to lead us in the way everlasting. Right. And when we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, like we were kind of, we were kind of going through what our favorite psalms were and going through all this. We kind of came to the conclusion that it was whatever the last psalm we read. Yeah. That's pretty, right. was pretty much our favorite psalm. So, that's right. So we kind of had to go back and pick and, and select right. these. So but, what I really did there was I snuck in a <laughs> bunch All the more, rest of them. Yeah, I, but, I noticed But that. what I couldn't get past, and I think it's so direct, and I think it's helpful for you guys as you're studying the psalms, don't miss Psalm 1. Amen. Right. Let's let's Amen. start with a wisdom psalm because it is the gateway uh, to the entire collection of, of poems 
poems and prayers. Um, As I mentioned earlier, a lot of people don't realize this, but the Psalms are booked, and if you read carefully, you'll see it. It'll say book one, book two, book three. So as they were grouped together, they were done that to deliberately echo the first five books of the Old Testament. Isn't that cool? So those themes carry through. So book one, it parallels Genesis, and that's chapters one to 41. Book two parallels Exodus, deliverance and redemption, and that's chapters 42 through 72. Book three, Leviticus, worship and sanctuary, those themes emerge. That's chapter 73 through 89. Then book four, numbers, our wilderness and our wandering period. And that includes, of course, the Psalm of Moses, Psalm 90. And so that's Psalm 90 through 106. And then the last book is book five, which is chapters 107 to 150. And that's Deuteronomy. Brian, mm-hmm. your favorite book of the Absolutely. Bible. Absolutely. Uh, scripture and praise. Uh, and so in this very first section, we know that David was the chief author of most of these Psalms. As I mentioned, these were probably the earliest assembled right. uh, and they were kind of formalized in exile. So I think David chose to put this one first for a reason. Because it helps cut through the clutter to say, listen, there are two ways. There are two ways, the way of the blessed and the way of the wicked. Right. And if we, we just look at these verses for a minute, because there's only six verses in this chapter. David says, blessed is the man, which really is emphatic. It means, oh, the blessings of the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked. Watch the progression nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Isn't that exactly the way that sin works, right? We're walking by it, then all of a sudden, ooh, it interests us. So we stop and we stand and stare. And then pretty soon we are sitting down and making ourselves cozy with sin. So that's not the way, right, of the blessed man. His way is is to delight, is to love the law of the Lord, to love his word. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So this is where we get both an action and an image associated with the blessed. And I put this, a picture of this in the notes because I think it's so important. But here's where a lot of people misunderstand the word meditation. Hebrew meditation and Eastern meditation could not be more different. Absolutely. When we think of meditation today, it's been influenced by Eastern philosophy. And it's this uh, really satanic idea, if I'm blunt, of emptying your mind. Right. Well, when you empty your mind, anything, even demonic influences can fill it. That's right. You know, at, at the very least, it's your own best thoughts about things, which we know fall way short. Right. And so the, 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 when we, the Bible talks about meditation, it's not this weird sit around and, you know, chant mantras and go, um, you know, <laughs> it, it is, it is not the emptying of your mind. Instead, it is the filling of your mind with God's word. Amen. Could not be more different. Amen. So the word here, it's also used in the, the book of Isaiah, chapter 31, verse four is, is the Hebrew word haga. And I love this word picture, Brian. It means to devour. Yeah. And the word picture is of a lion devouring his prey. You ever right. seen a lion on like, you know, the animal planet or something yeah. eating its prey, stalking it? That should be our appetite for the word of God. Amen. Like we wake up ravenously hungry for it. We devour it. Amen. And you are what you eat. Right. So yeah, it becomes right. part of us. Right. You know, it sustains us. It, it literally, you know, is what we take into our lives yeah. uh, that keeps us going. And so I love that word picture, right? On his law, he devours right. it right. day and night like a tasty meal, like a lion, you know, devouring its prey. And then so we have the action. And then we have the image. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. And in the notes, I found this graphic of a picture of a tree, right? That's kind of a 3D image. You have the, the tree reaching, this huge tree above the, the surface, right? And its leaves are full, its branches are full. But what you see in the 3D image is you see underneath the soil, 
that the roots go just as deep as the tree is fruitful uh, above the surface. And that's what a lot of people never see. Right. So David is saying that person who's blessed is like that tree who's planted by a good stream. An irrigation canal is literally what it means. Its roots go down deep to find uh, that water that it needs, that living water to sustain Mm. it. Amen. And so that tree, it yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers, but the wicked aren't, aren't so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. So the word picture for the wicked is chaff. Remember the old Kansas song, Dust in the Wind? That's right. And, and it's terrifying if you think about it, that your life can amount to nothing. Right. Dust in the wind. If you're a person who stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of scoffers, right, uh, who goes that direction in life. And so David, from the very first psalm, is telling us, right, be wise. Right. Choose God's way. Right. Blessed. We're in the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday mornings, right? Recognize that God has been life-giving to you. He's given you his word to devour. He's given you the opportunity to have access to living water. So allow that to fuel your life, and then your life won't be blown away. It won't end up like the dust. So it it leads us to ask those great application questions. Who influences me? What is my delight? Where do I get my strength and nourishment? And ultimately, what path am I on? Oh, that's just beautiful. And so that sets the stage for all 150 Psalms. Which path am I going to choose? Absolutely. Am I going to go to God, or am I going to do it myself? Am I going to trust in his ways? Am I going to devour his word? Am I going to praise him with my life or am I going to do my own thing? So with that, Brian, give us, talk to us about your favorite song. And as we've talked about, you you can go on a long list. The one one I selected here is the one that's really spoken to me, particularly as as I've matured as a Christian. And that's Psalm 37. And if you turn over to Psalm 37, and and it's, it's, it's an acrostic wisdom poem, which means that it, that there's a, a, P, a part starting with each consecutive letter of the Hebrew Bible. So there's a, so cool. there's a, there's a structure to it. But what's amazing as you read it is there's not necessarily a connection between each of the sections. And so it's almost a collection of proverbs. Which is fascinating, right? To, to have a song that's a collection. Yeah, even within the Psalms, you have yeah. each individual Psalm itself has this unique features and structures and, to it. And that's just stunning, right? Just just from a from a just from yeah. a, a, a literature oh, standpoint. Oh, each in, yeah, individually, a lot of the Psalms are literary masterpieces, right? And on each on their own, not not even to mention the collected works. As we sit here and get chills, think about that, right? Um, and it was written by David, where it says in verse twenty five when he was mature. So this is a David looking back. Yeah. Looking back on things, and and the and what and it's rooted theologically in in the in the covenant, right? In the Deuteronomic covenant, right? Deuteronomy twenty seven, which goes back into my favorite book, right. as you said, right? Twenty seven through thirty, which is probably how this all roots in. Now that I think about it, but but the 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 beautiful part of this, and what always catches my eye is verse four. It says, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." And this has been twisted, right? right. If you delight in the Lord, then He'll give you whatever you want, right? And that is absolutely not what, not what this is saying, right? But I love the fact that it connects delight to desire, that what you delight in will affect what you want. And and as I've become more mature as a believer, the one thing I really realize is I need to want the right thing. That's right. God changes your wants. It changes what you want, right? That's when he says give you the desires of heart. It's not give you what you want. It's give you what to want. Yes. Right. And that's so critical that as we delight in God, as we devour his word, echoing back to Psalm one, as we devour these things, what we want changes. We want to be nourished by that water of life, by that river of life. Right. By this, as as Jesus said to, to the woman at the well, right, there's this there's this well that you will never be thirsty again. That's incredible. And so if we take that delight. 
he will change our desires and we will want the same things God wants. Yeah. And I think that's just staggering, just staggering. So, and I, th- I think we're, we're running low, we're running down on time. So we'll, <laughs> we, we'll, can we, we can go on and on. We could go on so for a long more. time. <laughs> well, we want to hear from you. What's your favorite Psalm? Email us, uh, you know, contact us some way, um, you know, let us know. I hope, hope that today's introduction has been helpful to you. Absolutely. Maybe give you some, some handles that you didn't have before for the Psalms. We all know there's good stuff in there, but kind of oh. where to start. Uh, and so maybe as we walk through those genres, there's something you're experiencing. Maybe yeah. your heart is full and you need to, to show some Thanksgiving or praise. Go to those Psalms. Right. Maybe your heart's heavy and you need right. to lament today. Maybe you need wisdom, right? right? You, 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 your want to's <laughs> need to change. Um, or maybe you feel like you're kind of on the fence about some things and you need to be reminded that David's saying there's two ways. Right. There's God's way and then there's everything else. Right. So don't play this you know, in the middle game here. Uh, all of those things are incredibly helpful. Well, Brian, it's been fun to talk about uh, this section of the Bible for sure. Absolutely. Again, hope we've whetted your appetite uh, just a little bit. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to, to walk through um, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. That'll be a fun one. <laughs> Um, but let me let me just close. You know, we talked about Psalms being a prayer book. Yeah. Um, so Psalm 19 is another mm. one of my favorites. Uh, matter of fact, C.S. Lewis said he called this the greatest poem in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the history of the world. Wow. I mean, it's just, it's an incredible, it, it's about how we know God, right? Yeah. Now God knows us. But, but let's close with this prayer today. Uh, and it comes from verse 14. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've given us in your word. Thank you for First Chronicles and Psalms. Mm. And God, as we think about the words uh, that you've given us in these incredible books of the Bible to express our emotions and our feelings, uh, we, we want to pray the words of Psalm 1914. Let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And it's in the name of our rock and redeemer, Jesus, we pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We will see you in a couple weeks for another summer edition of Coffeehouse Theology. You are loved and you are sent.